You are listening to the She Runs the Show podcast with Cassandra Vaughn, episode 309, The Solo Series. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of She Runs the Show. Cassandra with you here. Episode 309. So we are, I, I do not do the typical thing that, that people do when they celebrate, you know, we just hit episode 100, 200, 300. I probably should. But this comes and goes so fast in terms of increasing episodes that I only remember, you know, the fact that we are 300 episodes deep into She Runs the Show when I'm doing what I'm doing right now, which is recording a new podcast episode. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, that's right. We're at, we're at episode 309. So welcome to those of you who are new to the podcast. Thank you for listening to She Runs the Show. I started this podcast years ago. I think it must be four or five years, maybe six at this point, because I wanted a place for women entrepreneurs to get mindset training and emotional intelligence, inspiration and business knowledge so that they could walk away from listening to an episode knowing that they don't have to choose one or the other. They can have businesses that thrive and relationships that rock. They can have both. And when I say relationships, I don't mean romantic relationships uh, alone. I mean, all kinds of relationships, personal relationships, networking relationships. I wanted to give women a platform to really hear that it is not one or the other. And one of these days, when I have long since passed my own particular journey with, with infertility and, and trying to get pregnant in my forties, I, I do want to talk about what I feel is a super big disservice to women, which is this idea that a woman can either be massively successful in business or be a great mom, but she cannot be both. And we still, I mean, you, you would say to yourself, it is 2022. Nobody's believing that. Oh, no, no. Uh, that is a limiting belief that's living in the bodies and the cells and the reproductive systems of a lot of women. And one day when I am not so close to that limiting belief and that fear, and one day when I have since worked through my own issues around that. I am certainly going to teach to it and I'm going to speak to it and I'm going to write books about it, but I'm still in my stuff with that. So I am not in a place yet to go there, but I, I felt the need to say that because I think if you're listening and you're a woman in her twenties, thirties or forties, and you want to have a baby, you want to have another baby and you you keep looking around at your life and you're going, how could I possibly add a baby to this? Like, I am so busy. Life is so crazy. How could I possibly do it? One day I'm going to speak the answer to that question. Uh, I am not ready to yet because I'm also asking myself that question. So I'm not going to do that yet, but I will. And um, I want you to know that you are not alone in your fears about how do you have both, right? Businesses that thrive and relationships that rock, relationships with your children, with the children that you will have. How do you do both? And so that is what this podcast was was started with the intention of being and still has that strong intention. In addition to that, I have found over the years that that my number one priority in doing this podcast is to encourage every person who listens to this, whether you are a female entrepreneur or 
uh, you know, a man who works for a company and you just want some inspiration or a coach who's listening to me because you read one of my books about coaching. And so you just want to hear what I have to say. Whoever is listening to this, I'm a firm believer that it's no accident that you're on this episode and it's no accident that you're hearing my voice. And so the other goal that I have for the She Runs the Show podcast is to empower people of all dynamics to remember always that they are the creators of their lives. Nobody gets to be in the driver's seat. And if you've turned your power over to anybody, take it back. Take it back right now. Because you are the only creator of your life. You are the only one who can change anything and everything in your life. And you are the only one who's responsible for living out the consequences of the decisions you are making moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and decade by decade. So that was a quick intro just to say, if you are listening, you are in the right place because you're listening. If you are wondering, what is this She Runs the Show podcast about? Um, I'm going to tell you, it's about the fact that she does run the show. Uh, I run my show, you run your show, we run the show. And so don't buy into the hype that anybody else runs your show but you because that would not be true. And I hope that this encourages you and inspires you and and helps you understand that we are all doing the best we can with what we have. I don't want you to listen to any of my podcast episodes and walk away thinking, wow, Cassandra has it all together because guess what? She doesn't. And I'm a firm believer, and I've said this in my books, everybody's a hot mess and everybody has their stuff. And I think the more we can normalize the idea that we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, uh, we are always going through things that, that no one else knows anything about. And if we can walk through the world kinder to everyone, because we understand that we are human beings who make mistakes and that we are all worthy and deserving of love and forgiveness and acceptance and value. If we can all do that every single day, the world would be a better place. Now, are we still human beings that judge? Yes. Are we still human beings that complain? Yes. Are we still human beings that gossip? Yes. That doesn't make you evil. It makes you human. Makes you human. So love yourself today. Be there for yourself today. Have your own back today. That's not anybody else's job. That's your job. Which leads me into the episode, now that we're finally getting down to it, which this is episode 309. And having your own back is the name of the game in this episode, because the question I'm asking today is, are the people in your life feeding the soil or grabbing the fruit? I'm going to ask the question again. You might want to write it down. Are the people in your life feeding the soil or grabbing the fruit? Now, if you are not signed up for my daily dose of inspiration email, where I typically, as long as something comes to me, I will send out a daily email. There are some times when I go weeks without sending out emails, because honestly, if I'm not inspired, if it doesn't come through me, I'm not sending an email. Like I'm not sending an email just to send an email. But if you would like this, some daily doses of inspiration, you can join the daily dose of inspiration at tinyurl.com forward slash KV Daily Dose. That is tinyurl.com forward slash KV as in Cassandra Vaughn, KV Daily Dose. All right, let's dive in. So the question for today is, are the people in your life feeding the soil or grabbing the fruit? 
let me tell you where this, this, this podcast episode title comes from. As you know, I'm a Pinterest addict. So I was on Pinterest the other morning and I found this quote and it just, again, some of these quotes really, it's like some of these quotes are reminders, you know, but then there are these other quotes that kind of slap me in the face metaphorically. And this one slapped me in the face. And here's the quote. I don't know who said it unknown. I didn't originally say this. Somebody else did, but here's the quote. Know the difference between those who stay to feed the soil and those who come to grab the fruit. Mm. Let me say it again. Know the difference between those who stay to feed the soil and those who come to grab the fruit. Now, let me, let me, let me put it in another way because Dr. Steve Maraboli knows how to drop the mic on his quotes. And Dr. Steve Maraboli said, be careful. Not all are what they seem. Some people pretend to be the beach, but they're actually quicksand. What? Dr. C. Maraboli, please. I, I could, I need to do an episode just on his quotes. This is what he said, Dr. Mar- Maraboli. Be careful. Not all are what they seem. Some people pretend to be the beach, but they're actually quicksand. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, we're getting, uh, once again, let me give you the title. Are the people in your life feeding the soil? or grabbing the fruit. I'm going to give you a third quote, and I'm going to come back to this at the end because I need to sit on this quote. This is a powerful quote that I want you to write down and think about. I'm giving you like 10 seconds notice, get some pen, paper. I want you to write this quote, which is a question down. I don't know who said it. I didn't originate it, but I want you to write this question down. And I want you to use this question as an assessment tool for the people who are spending the most time in your life. Here is the question slash quote, unknown. Why am I stressing over someone who doesn't even ask me if I am okay? I have to back my chair up. I just, let me ask the question. I want you to, I want you to feel the question because this is what we're talking about today. Why am I stressing over someone who doesn't even ask me if I am okay? How many people do you have in your life who either A, talk mostly about themselves and never ask you if you're okay, or B, even when they ask you if you're okay, they're not really interested in the answer, right? Like I am from the East Coast. I'm originally from Connecticut. And when I worked in New York City, the one thing I could tell you about the concrete jungle is that you would see somebody, you'd get out of Grand Central Station, you'd see somebody, random person, and you would exchange niceties, right? Like maybe you don't know them, you would have eye contact and you go, hi, how are you? And you don't wait for an answer. You're like halfway just power walking down the block. The truth of the matter is, is in New York City, strangers will ask themselves the question because they just happen to, to catch eyesight but they're not really interested in the answer because they're already halfway down the street by the time they said, how are you? Right? So if you've got either A, people who never ask you if you're okay, or B, people who only ask you because they have to, it's the polite thing to do, but honestly, they just want you to quickly answer so they could get back to talking about them, or they just ask you, but they don't listen to anything you have to say. This question becomes a game changer for weeding out takers in your life. And I'm going to ask the question again, why am I stressing over someone who doesn't even ask me if I am okay. What? 
So back to the original question, are the people in your life feeding the soil or grabbing the fruit? In other words, are the people in your life in a reciprocal relationship with you where both of you have give and take? Or are some of the people in your life just coming to take, 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 and they are officially what I'd call takers? And you might be saying to yourself, well, I mean, isn't isn't relationship about unconditional love and maybe some people can't give it as much as others. And I really love to give and giving is my love language. And so if other people can't give to me, like if I'm giving because I expect them to give back to me, isn't that more of a transactional relationship? Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Your inner circle and I'm currently writing a book called inner circle or inner cage. That's going to be out in a few weeks. Your inner circle should be the three to five people who've got your back. They should be the three to five people who you can call at three o'clock in the morning. Let me give you an example of what it means to have somebody in your inner circle who's got your back. I have just recently, after many of my friends and some of my clients have asked me to, I have just recently gotten on the This Is Us bandwagon. I avoided This Is Us for years because I knew it would torture me. I really did. I, I knew it would make me cry. I knew the writing would be amazing. I knew, I knew that if I got into this is us, I was thinking to myself years ago when somebody told me you should watch this is us. I was like, listen, life is hard enough. Do I need to watch a show, a drama that's going to like make me upset every time I turn around? Well, I'm at the end, tail end of season one and I'm upset. Let me just tell you, it is the writing is so juicy and good. The words are just so, I mean, they, they, they fill your soul. And I see this relationship between, and I'm going to forget his name, Randall and Kevin, I think it is Randall and Kevin. And there is one scene where, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched This Is Us, this will either make no sense to you or it will ruin it for you if you're not as far into season one as I am where Randall is having a, a panic attack, a nervous breakdown. He's, a, I think he's a high powered lawyer. I'm pretty sure he's a lawyer uh, or he's a trade. He does like Wall Street trading. Anyway, he he's in his office. He's supposed to be going to his Hollywood actor brother, Kevin's play in New York City. And he calls his brother, but he doesn't even realize because he's having a panic attack and a nervous breakdown that he called his brother and his brother could hear on the phone that something was wrong with him. Now his brother's about to go on stage and there is a, a New York Times critic in the audience, right? So the stakes are super high. His brother is about to go on stage in less than 30 minutes and he could hear his brother Randall, who's having a panic attack, but pretending on the phone that everything's okay. He could hear in his voice that something was wrong. And Randall gets off the phone with him and he has a choice to make. In that moment, he's like, man, I'm about to go on stage. This is my break. This is my opportunity to come back. There's a New York Times critic in the, like, do I really give that up? And then he thinks, what would my dad do? And so what he does is he doesn't go on stage, like the play stops because he's not there. He runs to his brother's office and he sits with him and holds him as his brother Randall cries. So he basically gives up his shot at reclaiming his acting career for the moment. But like that was a big night. 
And he chose, instead of focusing on himself and his big night, he went to his brother's side because he knew his brother needed him. That's somebody who's got your back. That's somebody who's part of your inner circle. That's somebody who, and listen, his brother, Kevin, who had his back during that panic attack is kind of self-centered and narcissistic. I mean, he's all about himself in general. He's a Hollywood actor in general. So he's all, in general, he's kind of, you know, egotistical. But even egotistical people can have other people's back when it matters. And so when I'm saying you need to use this question, why am I stressing over someone who doesn't even ask if I'm okay as a litmus test? Here's what I really mean. You don't need people to be there for you every single second of every single day because nobody's going to be able to do that for you. Nobody, no matter how much they love you, no matter how much they respect you. But you got to know for that inner circle in your life, you got to know that when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're having a panic attack or it's four o'clock in the morning and your life has been blown to smithereens or it's 6 a.m., you got to know that you could pick up the phone and you could call those people and they would be there. If they had to take a plane, if they had to drive, they would show up for you. And if you have people in your inner circle who, who, who you couldn't do that with, or who you know that if you call them at three o'clock in the morning, they'd be too busy for you, or who are only there for you when it's convenient for them, then I've got news for you. You don't have an inner circle of givers. You have an inner circle of takers. And that's a problem because takers don't belong anywhere in your inner circle. So write the question down. Why am I stressing over someone who doesn't even ask me? If I'm okay, right? Like common sense, but, but we, I'm talking about real stuff here because lots of people are living this, even though you wouldn't know that they are. So let me give you signs that you're dealing with a taker. Because again, the question is, are the people in your life feeding the soil or grabbing the fruit? Here are signs you're dealing with a taker. Number one, most of the time when you talk to that person, it's about them. Like if 70% or more of the conversation is about them, and I don't mean, um, 70% of the conversation is about them because you defer the conversation to them, right? Like there is a difference between people who want to know about you and you don't have much to say, right? And they deeply do actually want to know about you. That's not a taker. But I mean, people who in your life, their default mode is to talk all about them, focus completely on them, make every situation about them. Even when you come to them with a problem, they flip it immediately to them that is a taker. Another sign of you're dealing with a taker is they ask how you're doing, but only in passing. They do it because they have to ask, not because they want to actually take in your response, right? Like some people will ask you, how are you or how are things going? Because they know they're egotistical. So they throw the how are you in just to make sure they got it out of the way so they could go back to focusing on them. That's a taker. Another sign you're dealing with a taker is they really ask you if you're okay. You know, it's one thing to ask somebody, how are you? Uh, it's another thing to say to somebody, are you okay? Are you good? Is life good? Are you good? Do you need anything? You know, what's going on with you? Is everything okay? Like I have certain friends who I don't hear from often, but let me tell you about the quality of some of my friends. They will send me a text out of the blue and they'll be like, are you good? 
Are you good? Are you good? Like they're not saying, how are you? They're saying, are you good? I'm, I'm checking in to make sure that you're okay. That's super different than somebody who's like, how's it going? Right? Like that's not asking you, that's not asking me if I'm okay. That, that, that's just starting the conversation. So then you can get back to being about you. So another sign of a taker is they rarely ask you if you're okay. Another sign that you're dealing with a taker is they only talk to you when it's convenient for them. Now, I remember, you know, what it was like to be 20 something. And this is typically a 20 something problem. We pretty much grow out of it in our 30s and definitely in our 40s. But when you're in college and you have those friends that want to hang out with you and, and, you know, go to parties with you and, you know, do movie nights with you when they're not in a relationship, right? When they don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend. But as soon as they have a boyfriend or girlfriend, they vanish off the face of the earth. Like they're never available. They're so enmeshed in the relationship. They're creating a, a whirlwind of codependency. If somebody only talks to you when it's convenient for them, right? That's not a real relationship. That's, that's a transaction. That's a sign you're dealing with a taker. Here's another sign you're dealing with a taker. They only call when they need something. This includes family, by the way, folks. If the only time you hear from folks, your adult children, family members, friends is when they need you to do something for them, or they need your advice, or they need your opinion, like, if the only time you hear from folks is when they need something, that is a taker just helping you out. That's not just, oh, it's just them. No, no, no. It's just them and their takers. Here's the final sign I'm going to talk about. Uh, the final sign that you're dealing with a taker is when you're dealing with people who bring nonstop drama into your life and use you as an emotional garbage can. Like if you are dealing with, with, a, with a, a friend who it's, it's just, shit show after shit show after shit show. And when I say that, I don't mean like they're dealing with really hard stuff, the death of a child, the ending of a marriage, uh, marital troubles. I mean, sometimes you have friends who are simply going through a really hard season and they need your support and they need a listening ear and they need a soft place to land. But there's a difference between someone being able to count on, on you being a listening ear and someone constantly going through just needless drama all the time. And all they ever want to do is dump all their problems on you. And then you feel awful every time you talk to them because you're like, whoa, and they almost create their own messes all of the time. That kind of thing is different than going through a season of life where it's really tough. And so if you're hanging out with people who every day is la vida loca, every day is a new poop show, that part of it is they self-create it, that's a taker. And they're treating you as an emotional garbage can. And guess what? You are not an emotional garbage can. So here's the thing I want to say, because here's how we connect it to business, right? Because some of you listening to this may say, okay, so this is a business podcast. How... How is, you know, talking about takers related to my business? Well, <laughs> it's actually related to everything. Your business, your health, your wealth, like all of it. It's related to every, every single aspect of abundance that you could possibly have in your life is correlated to this because you will grow at a slower rate 
and you will shrink at a faster rate the longer you hold on to people who feel like quicksand. Can we go back to Dr. Mirabolli's quote for a minute? He said, be careful. Not all are what they seem. Some people pretend to be the beach, but they're actually quicksand. So there's no way. Okay. And I'm just going to say this because this is something that I struggled with for years. I used to really be on the bandwagon of, especially in my twenties, of feeling like here was my sentiment in my twenties. Nobody can affect me. Like it doesn't matter what kind of situation I'm in or who I'm hanging around all of the time. I am who I am. I'm going to be who I am no matter what. I could be around the most negative, complaining, pessimistic person. And I just put a shield up and none of that can affect me because I'm that powerful. And if those people affect me, then that must mean that I am not powerful enough. And so I need to do the work of developing more of my power so I can fully be in their presence and still be who I'm supposed to be. That sounds young and dumb to me because it was young and dumb in my 20s. Here's what I know now. There, there's there's two sides to that situation. The first reality is that you cannot be a person who needs perfect circumstances in which to perform at high levels if you want massive success. Like if you want mediocre success, you can you can ascribe to that. But if you want massive success, you cannot be a person who says everything must be perfect for me to move forward. Everything must be, um, everything must be right or calm for me to take a new step. Perfection is a lie. So if you think you need perfect circumstances to go forward with a goal, to take a next step, to take a next action, you will find out that you'll waste decades of your life believing that and you will still be in the same place 10 years from now. So on the one hand, you need to be a person who can operate at a high level, even under high levels of stress. And even when things are less than ideal, and even when you're going through poop shows, even when you're going through really tough stuff, you still need to be able to wake up, put your clothes on, get like, take action, do DMA daily massive action, make it happen. Yes, you still need to be a person who performs at a high level no matter what's going on in your life, period, period. And let's go to the other prong of that. Even performing at a high level under massive amounts of stress, you are still growing at a slower rate and shrinking at a faster rate under high stress. Like you will not be able to, this is, this is where I'm going. You will not... To believe that you can hang around people who complain and bitch and are negative and they're emotional vampires and they suck up all your energy and time, they walk into rooms and they suck the, to believe that you could spend your life around those people and that you will get to the end of your life having achieved everything you could have achieved had you not had those people around you is a lie. It's a fallacy. So while you could still be high performing in their presence, while you could still have a, an inner circle full of takers and still perform on a high level, will you perform and as high a level as you could have had you not chosen to keep those people in your life? Nope, you won't. You won't. So if you're good with the loss of accomplishment and achievement and energy that comes with keeping those kinds of people in your life, if you're good with only achieving, let's say 70% of what you could have achieved in your life by keeping those people around, then by all means, keep them around. 
but you got to live with you when you're on your deathbed and you turn around and look and go, I could have been so much more. I did a lot. I accomplished a lot, but I could have gone the extra mile had I not allowed my energy to be taken up with people who weren't worthy of it, right? So it relates to business because if you want to build a business empire, you got to be very selective about who's in your crowd. You got to be very selective about what you spend every single minute of every single day on, whose texts you respond to, whose phone calls you take, whose drama you deal with. If what you want is to build something massive and successful in terms of business, you have to be extremely selective about who gets to be in your inner circle because at the end of the day, you will grow at a slower rate and shrink at a faster rate the longer you hold on to people who feel like quicksand. And then the question becomes, right? So you, you hear what I'm saying and you're like, okay, when Dr. Steve Maraboli says, be careful, not all are what they seem. Some people pretend to be the beach, but they're actually quicksand. Oh, the, you, you thought they were the beach on day one. Now, five years in, you figure out, oh, they're actually quicksand. So what do you do? What do you do about that? When you find that you're dealing with takers, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, bosses, uh, partners, spouses, what do you do when you figure out that you thought you were at the beach all this time and really you were trying to run through quicksand? What do you do? Well, number one, first thing you got to do when you figure out you're dealing with takers, especially if they're in your inner circle, is you got to decide. Meaning we're not, we're not even going to dealing with them yet because you got to deal with you first. You need to decide who belongs in your life, who has a place in your life and who doesn't. You need to decide what you need to do to prepare your life for changing people's places in it. For example, if you have a sister who's a taker, but she's also the nanny of your children and you can't afford to pay a, a, another nanny, the kind of money that nannies now charge today, which there, you know, there are wait lists for nannies today, by the way. Um, and, they get paid $30 an hour and up depending on where you live. So, and that's the low end. Well, you got to decide how you're going to get your life ready for not having your sister as your nanny. If at the end of the day, you have to disown her, not to say that you do have to disown her. Maybe you'll discuss it and set boundaries and she'll change. But what if she doesn't change? Like before you even have the conversation with your sister, who's a taker, you need to decide what you need to do first to prepare your life for changing people's places in it. You also need to decide how you'll change the way you show up so you no longer allow those kinds of people into your future. See, here's the thing about takers. They wouldn't be in your life if you didn't give them a seat at your table. It's time for some accountability and personal responsibility and ownership here. Takers wouldn't be in your life if you didn't let them in. So you need to get with you and figure out what is the part of you that allowed takers in? What's the part of your self-worth that, that felt like you needed to let a taker in? What's the part of your own value where you don't value yourself and your time enough to not allow those kinds of people? What in you has got to shift first so you don't drop this taker out of your life, but the, only to attract another one because you haven't changed your personal belief about you? So... You got to decide who's got a place in your life. You've got to decide what you need to do to prepare your life for changing people's places in it. You have to decide how you'll change the way you show up so you no longer allow those kinds of people into your future. And then at the end of the day, you got to decide 
who you are, what you want, what you will allow. But at the bottom line of this decision thing is deal with you first. You got to deal with you because if you don't, if you don't handle you and what created, what in you created the situation, you will distance yourself from one taker only to find yourself in connection with the next one. So deal with you first. Then we're going to go to deal with them. So first, when you're dealing, when you figure out you're dealing with takers, decide. That's really about you. Second, discuss. You, you cannot expect people to be mind readers. If, if you don't set, if you don't have a boundary conversation with people, if you don't have a conversation where you go, you know what? I don't think it's, it's really, I, I'm not really interested in, doing what we've been doing in this relationship. I feel like this friendship is super unequal and uneven. You've got to discuss it. Now, if the friendship or the family relationship or the romantic relationship doesn't mean enough to you for you to have the discussion, then just drop them like it's hot. Like, let's make this simple. If you're not willing to discuss your boundaries with someone, it's not the, it's nice to say, well, I'm afraid to, or I don't know how to communicate boundaries well. Part of it might also be that you don't value the relationship enough to talk about it. And if you don't, be honest with yourself about that. Like, be honest with you about the fact that you don't actually want the relationship, which is why you don't want to have a discussion in the relationship about the boundaries. So one, you got to decide. Two, you got to discuss the problem and make a request for changed behavior. See, it's not enough for you to go and say, I don't like when you do A, where I feel like you are focused on you and you don't care about me. That's half the discussion conversation. The other half of the discussion conversation is, here is my request for change behavior. And yes, it sounds like you're waiting in line at, you know, Wendy's or something or Starbucks. No, no, no. You have to say to people, let me give you my request. I'm being clear with you. Now that I've told you my perception of the issue, now that I've heard your response to my perception of the issue, let me also be very clear and say, here's what I need from you. Can you give it? And when you make a request for change behavior, then you give it some time. You know, you give it four weeks, six weeks, three months, you know, maybe sometimes you'll even go as far as six months. You just see what happens. Not, now listen, once you've made a clear request for change behavior, that does not mean after that point, while you're waiting to see if that person changes, you are nagging them, begging them, reminding them, or convincing them to meet your request for change behavior. Even if you get the change behavior, because you're the one who constantly has to get nag people to behave a certain way. The only reason that change behavior is happening is because you are con trying to convince them and nag them and bug them. That's too much energy. Nobody's got time for that. There are plenty of people in the world who will give you what you need without you having to nag for it. Uh-uh. You make one clear request. This is what I'd like to see change. You hear their answer. If they say yes, you leave them alone and you just wait and see. You wait and see what they do. And then in time, usually it takes about a month or two, uh, sometimes three to six months, but by six months, you know, you know, if they're actually really making an effort to change behavior and listen, you zip it. You don't tell them, you don't, none of this, like, let's have a daily conversation about how you're doing. Either they have the willingness and capacity to change or they don't see what happens. Then once you see what happens, if their behavior still hasn't changed, if they're still takers, and, and, and by their behavior not changing, they're showing you either they're not willing to change or they lack the capacity to change or both. Now it's time for 
uh, one of two things to happen, distance or disown. So you're either, if you don't get, you know, and I would say with each person have three solid boundary conversations, like have a boundary conversation, make a request for change behavior. Then when they violate the boundary one time, you remind them of your request for change behavior. Then when they violate the boundary the second time, you remind them one final time of your request for change behavior, but you're not nagging them. You're only addressing it when a boundary violation occurs. You're not nagging in between. So now once they've violated your, their same boundary that we've talked about for, I don't know how long, twice, no more discussions. Now it's time to distance yourself and allow that person to be who they are, which is a taker, just not in your presence, right? Like if somebody wants to be a taker, some takers just feel like, well, what's the big deal if you're allowing me to take? Like that sounds like a personal problem to me. That's your problem. That's not my problem. So some takers are happy being takers. And if that's the case, let them be takers, just not in your life. Let them go to somebody else and do all that. Not in your presence, they won't. Distance. Engage with them as little as possible so that you protect your peace, you honor your own boundaries, and you're creating space for somebody who's actually going to be reciprocal in their relationship with you. So distance, after you've discussed, after you've corrected them on two boundary violations, now it's distance time. If distance still doesn't work, meaning if they're still family members you see at Thanksgiving, and so you, you feel like I'm not, like I see them sometimes or we run sort of in the same circles, but still like even seeing them once at Thanksgiving, a, one time a year is like, oh, it just rocks your peace, ruins your mood. Well, then you have a fourth very extreme option, which I say, use this sparingly, disown them. Use this sparingly. I'm not a big fan of disowning people just because, you know, I've had to do it. Um, and, and that is really because I, I just realized that certain people are never going to be different and they see nothing wrong with being who they are and they have every right to be who they want to be, but I have every right to decide that I don't want that in my life. Right. So that's the nature of disownment. You completely release them from your life. You forgive them. You send them on their way. There's no contact. There's no connection. You let them move on and find somebody else to take from which then opens the energetic space in your own life because you've completely let them go. Like you're no longer still thinking about it. You're no longer pissed about it. You're no longer like axing a, was it called axing a grind? I think it's axing a grind about it. Like you've let them go. They're not even a thought, right? You disown them. And then what that does is it opens up your energy to focus on what you actually do want in your life and to open up the space of your life for a relationship that reflects true reciprocity. And, and again, I say use disowning very, very sparingly. If you find that you're disowning everybody in your life, like everybody, then, then it's time to look at you. You know, then it's time to be like, okay, like what in me feels that I need to just let all of the people closest to me go. You know, sometimes though, and I will say this, sometimes you hit a season in your life where you, you've spent the last 20 years people pleasing and you turn around and you look and you're like, wow, all of these relationships with all of these people, friends, family, everything has been based on my, you know, bending over backwards, walking on eggshells with them. And then you do disown the whole lot of them because they don't want to change. They're like, I've been getting a lot out of you people pleasing for me for 20 years and you are now different. And so that is a really painful thing if that happens, but that doesn't happen very often. So 
I would say use disownment uh, sparingly only if you absolutely have to do it. I think distance is far better. And distance could mean you don't talk to somebody for three years. I mean, that's distance. But that doesn't mean you've cut them totally out of your out of your life forever. You could have distance of five years or 10 years. That doesn't mean you cut them out of your life forever. Disownment means I will never speak to you again. I will never see you again. Um, I don't, I, I'm not really ever going to think about you again. You are gone to me. And that is that. That's his own myth. That's pretty, that's, that's super extreme. So if you're talking distance, like I need five years, fine. Distance for five years, two years, fine. Six months, fine. But disownment is totally different. So I would say use that sparingly. Here's the other piece I want to say. You know what? Life is very, very short. The older I get, the, the, the shorter I realize life is. And no one has time for other people to take more than they add. Let me nobody's got time for that. Nobody's got time for takers. Um, you need to choose who you allow into your life wisely, because let me help you out. It is so easy to bring people into your life. Sometimes it is way hard to get them out. Do you know what I'm like? Uh, you know, that's why I always tell people, be careful who you have children with. You know why? Cause you kind of, you got to deal with them pretty much forever. And I know there are lots of people who do the co-parenting thing super well, but I'm just going to warn you, be careful who you have kids with, because once you have a child with somebody, yeah, I mean, you can get divorced, but you, that's a long-term relationship right there that you just, you better make sure that you like people enough that if you weren't with them romantically, but you had children with them, you, you would still be willing to keep those people in your life. And yes, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, right? Like once you're, once you've, you're out of it, you look back on it, you're like, oh man, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z. But this is why I'm having this podcast episode with you because I'm telling you, choose who you allow into your life wisely. It is oftentimes much harder to let them go than it is to take them in. And it takes much longer to let them go than it is to let them in. So I'm not saying have your emotional walls up. I'm just saying like be selective, be selective. You do not have time to let someone in on a whim who you now take years to distance yourself from. It's not a good ROI. It's not a good return on investment. So let me go back to the beginning because I want to go to the original quote that inspired this podcast episode. Know the difference between those who stay to feed the soil and those who come to grab the fruit. I really want you to take a close look at your inner circle. Are they, are, are they there to feed the soil? Or are they there to grab the fruit? Are they, are they three o'clock in the morning people? You know what I mean by three o'clock. Like if you really, really needed somebody at three, could you pick up the phone and call them? Or would you feel like, no, mm -mm, I can't count on them for that. Mm, that's a, you need a good two to three, three o'clock in the morning people. I'm not saying you need a whole click of three o'clock, but you need two to three people that you know, if you, you know, this was always my take on having a lot of kids. I always wanted to have like eight children because I thought to myself, you know, maybe some of them wouldn't like each other. But when you have eight children, at least, you know, there's at least one of them that another one could call at three o'clock in the morning when they find themselves in a situation where they don't want to call mom or dad. So we all need that. Even if we don't have seven other siblings, we need our three o'clock in the morning people. And you got to know the difference between those who stay to feed the soil and those who come to grab the fruit. And here's the other piece, right? 
This is going to be hard, especially if you already know the answer, but you need to start to look at everybody in your life, especially the people that you live with, the people that you work with, the people that you spend the most time with. And you need to ask the question, how often do those people ask me if I'm okay? Not how are you? Not how are things going? How often do the people that I spend the most time with in my life, how often do they say to me, are you okay? When I tell you I have certain friends that I hear from every blue moon, but when, but when they do reach out, they actually really want to know if I'm okay. That's gold. That's those people in my life are irreplaceable. And I have some people that I hear from all the time. And I, I don't think they really care if I'm okay, honestly, but I know where we're at. I know what level of relationship we're on. And so I want you to look at the people closest to you, the people you live with. And I want you to really take a good hard look and say, do these people notice when I'm quiet? Do these people notice when I'm stressed? Do these people notice when I'm not sleeping? Do these people notice when my mood has changed? And when they notice these things, do they stop me? And do they have a this is us moment with me? And do they say, are you okay? And really want to know the answer to that question. Like some people ask it and they're afraid of the answer because they don't want to have to take care of you, right? Those are not your people. Those are people that are there to the grab, grab the fruit and not feed the soil. And final point, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Dr. Steve Mariboli, like this, take, write it down and evaluate. Be careful. Not all are what they seem. Some people pretend to be the beach, but they're actually quicksand. You, listen, you better look and see if you're at the beach or if you're in the Sahara in quicksand. You need to look at each of the relationships. And like, Am I at the beach with these people? Or am I actually in quicksand in the Sahara? Because one works better than the other. And you do not need to be in quicksand with people who would let you sink. So are the people in your life feeding the soil? Or are they just there to grab the fruit? You better ask yourself the question day in and day out. And then when you figure out which group they're in, you need to let the people grabbing the fruit, put them on notice, use distance, Use disownment sparingly, but you got to do what's right for you. There it is. I've said what I've said. I said what I said. All right, everybody. I will talk to you on the next episode of She Runs the Show. 